Hey there, Minnow Tankers. I'm Ken, the founder of Minnow Tank. The Minnow Tank podcast interviews tech startup founders and the investors that fund them. This episode of the Minnow Tank podcast is brought to you by Minnow Tank. Whether you're an investor looking for new investment opportunities, a founder looking to pitch your tech startup, or a Minnow Tanker looking to stay up to date with growing tech startups, you can join our community of entrepreneurs at MinnowTank.com. All right, Minnow Tankers, here's the show. Hey there, Minnow Tankers. This is Ken, and I have Tim Freitz, partner at Protected Technologies Capital and co-founder at the Tokenist.io. Tim, thank you so much for joining us on the Minnow Tank podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, Tim. So instead of me trying to explain all the things that you do, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do and, and tell us about how you became an investor? Sure. So um, I'm a private equity investor. Uh, my company, Protective Technologies Capital, is focused exclusively on the Internet of Things and trends that are really enabled by what we can do now with, with data. And whether that's capturing the data through sensors, uh, analyzing that data, or building models that provide some sort of predictive or analytical function that allows us to disintermediate supply chains, do things more efficiently, basically be smarter with, with more of this intelligence on, on how all these machines and, and uh, everything in the world is interacting with each other. So um, kind of, and then also a focus on, on FinTech as is, is a lot of people describe it, um, really using technology to make investing more efficient. And, and that's really what we best uh, is focus on uh, press releases and uh, topical content around uh, using tokenization, uh, smart securities, and blockchain technology to make uh, the whole investing ecosystem work more efficiently and, and really open up access to more investors and more asset classes than traditionally has been accessible with, uh, with the, the current uh, financial services structure. Okay, and so let's shift gears and talk about that protected technologies capital, so specifically in that IoT and fintech space investment. Um, so talking about, you know, your portfolio, talking about what kind of check sizes you guys write, what stages do you like to see when you invest through PTC? And tell me a little bit more about that. So we are uh, lower middle market, and we identified an opportunity, and I, I can get into the background of uh, how protected technologies capital was founded, but uh, we identified an opportunity in the lower market space where there are a lot of companies that have developed technology that's very interesting. They, they found an application for a specific niche, and they're usually engineering focused. They're very technically sound. They've developed very deep relationships with their customers, but they're sort of below the radar of what traditional private equity funds look for. And one of the reasons is that that $3 million or even $2 million EBITDA level is kind of the threshold where if you're doing a leverage buyout, um, you can get a cash flow based loan to, to finance part of the transaction. And we really focus on building an enterprise uh, that capitalizes on a mega trend, that, like I mentioned, the Internet of Things and, and big data, um, but also that capitalizes on the fact that these companies all universally need business development expertise. They need somebody, uh, either a technology or an individual, to go in and, and look at where they're uh, finding success in the market and where other applications of 
that solution may apply that, that they just don't see because they don't have the reach. And then how can they most efficiently reach those customers to provide their solution? And ultimately, it's a question of how do you scale these companies from sort of a niche player into fully maximizing their market potential? And, and we didn't feel that was being met by the current private equity industry. Um, we, we both, uh, my, my co-founder and I, uh, both had worked with a number of private equity firms. And the traditional model that, that those firms employed was starting with a platform acquisition, usually uh, at the, in the lower middle markets, it, it's at least $3 million and, and probably closer to $5 million of EBITDA, and then uh, adding on a lot of these smaller companies as add-on acquisitions. And my founder and I are, are both engineers originally by trade, and so we were very comfortable with a strategy that was more of a buy and build where we can integrate a bunch of small companies together, but not necessarily start with a platform and then provide some of the business development and technology expertise that helps these companies scale and really maximize their potential. That makes good sense, especially as these companies are scaling up and growing and inserting that business development side at that, at that mid to early stage EBITDA um, to expand and grow them. So let me, let me ask the next question. Um, can you give me the unique thesis for your firm? Um, like if you were trying to put it into one sentence, how would you explain what PTC does in, in a single sentence? We focus on companies that fit the Internet of Things thesis, and we focus on growing the companies through commercial synergies rather than operational synergies. We are dealing directly with business owners, so we aren't going through investment banks. We have industry expertise, so these business owners, we can talk to them in kind of the industry lingo. And we can make commitments to them that we will not make any changes in the organization. We recognize the value of all employees. And our strategy is exclusively growing the size of the pie. It's not growing the bottom line by, by cutting personnel. And that's really important for business owners who have a legacy they want to protect. Um, they'd like to retire, but they feel a lot of loyalty to their customers, to their employees. And so having somebody that kind of comes from the industry that recognizes the potential of company of the company can help them grow, but can also make that commitment is really our competitive advantage. And it is, is why a lot of times we win when somebody's considering going to auction or considering another investor. No, that makes perfect sense. Now, Tim, let me ask you our next question. What is your favorite part of being an investor? My favorite part is the perspective. So you get to think about the future. You get to place bets that uh, a lot of times I, I started my career in a big organization and uh, a lot of times in a large organization there's bureaucracy, there is uh, subjectivity and performance assessments. And uh, when you're an investor, you have a very objective, uh, sometimes cruel feedback from the market on whether you were right or not about the future. But uh, the amount of different variables that go into um, that go into trying to predict where something might go is, is almost infinite. And so if, if you're intellectually curious, it allows you to kind of be a vacuum of information and then try to synthesize that into a, a concrete thesis. And, and to me, that's just a very stimulating uh, way to spend my time. And it, it's also fun as a private equity investor to be able to help other people realize in your success. Uh, so you can, we, we often give uh, stock options to the employees of companies, a lot of our founders um, that, that we purchase companies from choose to leave a portion of, of their uh, the purchase consideration as a co-invest. And, and so 
those guys get to realize success uh, down the road. And, uh, and, and to me, that's really rewarding. Right. Uh, you know, that perspective is really interesting because I think a lot of the investors that come on the Minotank podcast talk about the favorite part is actually almost never have we heard someone say the windfall of capital when you make a really good bet. It's always about the experience, the life, the, the, the opportunities it affords you as an individual to really learn and expand your own horizons. Um, so it's great to hear from you from the PE side as well. Um, so let me ask you a fun question. It's not a required question to answer. It's usually pretty hard. But what is the best investment you and your firm has ever made? So the best investment was, uh, and this is um, my, my former investing life, um, but it was an investment in a, a wind, technolo- wind, wind energy technology company that I was confident in my thesis, but it wasn't being borne out in the market. And I, I made a small investment, and then I made another small investment, and, um, and the investment was really going against me. And it got to the point where it was really I could cut my losses or I could double down at a really attractive price. And I reexamined the thesis. And, and my philosophy on investing is you need to have a thesis on what the catalyst will be, and then you need to be intellectually honest as the results come in on whether the thesis is being borne out. And in this case, the thesis didn't change, and I just felt the market wasn't recognizing the future potential. And so I really made a big bet at what ended up being the lowest point in, in the market, and, uh, and it ultimately ended up being an over 20x return. And uh, it, it really, the investment itself wasn't uh, hugely material to our results, but the lesson of, uh, of the flip side of that as well, of, of being able to, to cut your losses or being able to, to let a winner run. Uh, sometimes for me, it's harder to let a winner run when, when you've maybe got a 3x return and uh, that could be really interesting um, versus just knowing that, that the thesis still has potential. And so that was a good lesson for me earlier in my career. So I want to dig into that a little bit more, Tim, because whenever we have investors on the Tim podcast, we love to ask about advice. And I think you just gave us a really good nugget, but let me, let me go ahead and bait that a little bit more and see if there's any other advice you're willing to give us um, as someone who invests in startups and, and on the PE side, you know, purchases or does buyout orders. Um, is there any other advice you could give to someone who might be looking to get into startup investing uh, on, a, on a broad-based scale? Yeah, I, I think, uh, and, and I'm an engineer originally, so I'll use a Thomas Edison quote, but there's a quote that gets repeated often about how Thomas Edison didn't didn't fail a thousand times. He, he learned a thousand different ways to not make a light bulb. And um, I, I think as you're doing investing in whatever asset class you're investing into, you obviously don't want to lose money. Sometimes you will, sometimes you won't. I think anybody that tells you they've never lost money is probably being either disingenuous or not taking enough risk. But I think being willing to do the work and, and follow a process that maybe nine times out of 10 doesn't result in an investment, but not feeling like you're, you're wasting your effort doing that work is really important. And, and I would give that advice to people that keep a file on everything, understand your process, and uh, know that even if the, the ultimate decision is a no-go, that that work you've done is worthwhile experience. And when you ultimately do make investments, the, the foundation that that experience gives you gives you a better chance for the investments, the, the stakes you do put uh, in the ground to, to be successful. I think that's a wonderful uh, mentality. A lot of people talk about, you know, creating a thesis and sticking to it and also like, you know, placing segmental bets. One of our investors made a suggestion that you play something like fantasy football 
Um, and instead of actually, you know, participating in the market just yet, you start you start doing it for one or two years beforehand, and you say, if I would have put this in at this valuation, what would it have returned me? Which is quite interesting, um, and that's a, it's an interesting way to go about it. Um, so let me ask you our, our next question, which is, how do you find new deal flow and investment opportunities? Well, I think this is just like in uh, an, an organization that we would invest in. Uh, finding new leads for potential uh, sales opportunities is the lifeblood of a company. Very similar, you know, you, you can't just have a great thesis. You need to go out and, and source deal flow for that thesis. And what we did with Protective Technologies Capital initially is we were very specific about what trend we were interested in and what companies would fit that trend. And then we figured out how you could identify a company who had products or services that were capitalizing on that trend. And one of the first things we did was Underwriters Laboratory uh, gives certain specifications, technical specifications for devices that provide a sensing protection or control function, which is the sort of technical area we focus on from the hardware side. And we looked up every company that, that had that certification and then we segmented that by which companies were actually manufacturing and designing versus distributing and had some of the other financial characteristics we looked for. And then we went out to other databases and, and said, all right, what, what are the other companies that have the same category, categorization as these companies? And that was sort of how we built the top of the funnel. And from there, it's really finding the contact information and finding a unique way to contact the potential business owner of each one of those companies and start a conversation on what they're looking for and, and see if they might be interested in selling. But it really at the top of the funnel is really having a specific idea of what your investment characteristics are and then find a, a creative way to, to find opportunities that fit those characteristics. Creative way is one of my favorite you know, ways to go about this because when we talk to a lot of startup founders <clears throat> who will say to themselves, and I'll ask the same question, is that how do they meet investors? And they always have these super creative, well, I found them on Twitter, but then I went to their Crunchbase, but then I linked in them, but I, I hit them from 17 different angles until they gave me a conversation. I think creativity is what it requires these days as, as platforms age and as usability ages in certain spaces. Uh, I think that's, that's definitely the way it goes in the future. Um, and so we, before we start this podcast, Tim, you and I talked a little bit about um, what you're doing in, in PE and your consideration for tokenizing and how that kind of is connected to the tokenist. So I'd love for you just to, can you give us a little bit of the future of what you, you see for your firm and, and the direction you see it going when it comes to the token economy? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, and and we're pretty excited about what we're doing at the tokenist right now in terms of providing media coverage on all the exciting developments in the security token and, and digital asset space. But also, we're, we're almost in this industry from a defensive standpoint, because if you look at the benefits of tokenization, uh, my background in traditional private equity showed me that a lot of times you're investing as a limited partner into an illiquid asset class. And as an investor, you lose a little bit of flexibility in terms of when you exit, um, you, you kind of delegate that, that decision to the fund manager. And one of the main promises of security tokens would be, for instance, in the private equity space, to allow limited partners and funds 
to subject to whatever the one-year lockup period um, or, or FINRA requirement would be, is having liquidity in your investment while still benefiting from investing in, a, in private businesses. Um, and then there are a lot of things you can do on the back end along with liquidity, but uh, probably the most salient example is giving investors liquidity in asset classes that are currently uh, relatively illiquid and, and thus uh, somewhat inefficient. Now, it makes perfect sense, especially when you're you know, considering the difficulty of private investments and what it does to you these days is, you know, it's locked up. There's the FINRA regulations, but then there's also just the general lockup period of, okay, well, it's put there. You put the $100,000 egg in this basket, can't touch it. And, and a likelihood there might be a 10 plus year time horizon on many investments that just won't come to fruition for quite a while. Um, so it's a super high risk and very concentrated. So I see where you're going. Um, so Tim Freeze, uh, how can people find you online? So the easiest way to find me is uh, feel free to email me at tfreeze at, at Proton or go to our website, uh, www.protechcap.com. And uh, I would also encourage you to find the tokenist.io and follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn. And, and if you have questions or you have topics you'd like us to cover uh, in the security token and fintech space, um, let us know. We'd love to we'd love to talk and we'd love to compare notes. All right, that's Tim Freeze, partner at Protective Technologies Capital and co-founder of the Tokenist. Tim, I'm going to put links to both of those in our podcast. And thank you very much for joining us on the Minotank podcast. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it, guys. Hey there, Minnow Tankers. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Minnow Tank Podcast. Want to ask a question to one of our featured investors or tech founders? Use the Anchor.fm app to record your question and send it in to the Minnow Tank Podcast to be featured next episode. Make sure to record your name, where you're calling in from, and your question. And make sure to subscribe to the Minnow Tank Podcast for more awesome interviews with tech founders and the investors who fund them. Again, I'm Ken Barton, founder of Minotank, and I'll see you next time, y'all.